Live every weekday at noon, then up as a podcast. This is MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Maggs with 30 minutes of express news on developments here in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. It's Wednesday, the 13th of December. Coming up on the program, tensions increase between the ANC and a leading stalwart who has quit the party. We'll look at efforts to increase South Africa's nuclear energy capability and the country's credit climate is showing small signs of improvement. ANC veteran Mavuso Msimang, who's quit the African National Congress over what he terms endemic corruption, has called on the party secretary general Fikile Mbalula to retract claims that he'd accepted a bribe to join former first RAND group chair Roger Jardine's political startup called Change Starts Now. Msimang is with us now and leads the program. And firstly, how difficult a decision was it for you to leave the party? You know, it's really difficult to describe this. For a very long time, I have just watched our organization deteriorate in in terms of its performance, lose support. And uh, I've been with a bunch of people, the veterans, who've been trying to uh, uh, see if this situation couldn't be remedied. There is a renewal process that was suggested uh, Uh, in 2017 and uh, that was a resolution which uh, needed to be implemented it needed to be given fit you know what's the meaning of renewal what steps do you take to realize this Uh, two conferences have passed now and really nothing as Beggy usually says uh, has been done not significant like here people saying you know doing this and that is renewal Uh, renewal and taking specific organizational steps to deal with issues of corruption, which has hampered, which has really very, very badly affected the image uh, and the performance of the organization. With all of that not happening, one was just losing hope. I accepted, and for the first time last year, uh, this year, I accepted an official position uh, with the Veterans League, and I became its deputy president. We had a lot of support from the leadership of the ANC and uh, they persuaded us to really do the best we could to uh, uh, help uh, the organization come out of its uh, difficult situation. Well, you know, the experience was not very encouraging because it wasn't easy to see the people report on our progress and and all of those things. It, It really always was a struggle. And sometimes when the meetings did take place, mm. they seemed like uh, perfunctory. We agreed, uh, but you ached out a meeting uh, after a, a long struggle. We, yeah, so it, it was very clear that there was serious inattention to issues of transformation, of um, uh, renewal, of really winning back the support that we've lost right. from municipality. Do you believe the ANC can be saved? You know, uh, you know, I, I, I think it can be saved. Uh, it would take an extraordinary effort. But what needs to be done 
uh, in fact, you, the last, the straw that broke my back, by the way, was when uh, I thought there was an opportunity in the form of a Zondo report, which said some people, members of the ANC, have to be referred to the NPA for prosecution. I, I thought if the ANC were to really bite the bullet, regardless of who would be affected, and say, we will not allow any one of those people whose names have not yet been cleared to feature, mm. uh, to be nominated to the uh, list uh, to contest the upcoming uh, provincial and national elections. We've been trying to extract that. I think in the end, that was the straw that broke my back right. when I just thought we're getting close to this thing, but it's not happening. There's been a very angry response from the party, and we don't have time to go into all of that. But are you surprised at the reaction? Not at all. There are certain people who would predictably react in the manner that they did. They really do not bother me at all. I worry about the um, the veterans who, who really feel that they've been left to work alone. <laughs> and those are the voices that I listen mm. to a lot more than other voices, which predictably would condemn and ignore completely the issues that are raised in my resignation letter. Which letter, I really must take this opportunity, was not delivered to the media. It was leaked after I'd sent it uh, to the House. You have asked the Secretary General of the party to retract a statement in which he said that you were um, taking bribes to join a new political party. Um, I'm assuming that he hasn't done that yet. No, he hasn't done that. He has tried to qualify his statement, and he says he didn't say that. He just said generally people are looking to recruit uh, members of the ANC because they have credibility or those they think have credibility to do this thing. But I say, you know, as soon as you said that, you then mentioned that Simang is one of the people who is being uh, uh, lobbied in the... The statement that he made about me is defamatory, and I have insisted that it be retracted. How he does it doesn't matter, but the public must know that he regrets that or he didn't mean what he said. I, I, I don't want to prescribe, but if, if that doesn't happen, I really uh, reserve the right to uh, uh, take, uh, to redress, uh, to, I'll seek redress. In other words, legal action. If that's what remains. I hope it doesn't get to that. Seriously, I hope. It would disappoint quite a few people in the ANC if uh, Mavuso ended up with uh, uh, taking legal action against such a senior person in the ANC. But really, if my name is not cleared, then I'll have no option but to do that. Will more like-minded people from within the veterans firmament be following you, do you think? I really don't know, and it really doesn't interest me that they do it or not. I acted based on my own assessment of the situation. If they think they can still soldier on and achieve a renewal of the organization, I really wish them good luck, and I would assist even from outside if there's any assistance I could offer. But So I'm not... Exp- I, I don't care that they come out or they don't. Just a final one. Do you have a new political home or are you looking for one? I'm not looking for a new political home. I've been with the ANC for all this time. And for most of my life in the ANC... I was not a ranking official. I just happened to have been there for a long time 
and one has uh, acquired the stature of uh, a veteran, a person who's been around. Uh, so um, I, I'm, I'm really not even sure that my departure should be causing <laughs> any serious ripples. But it is. Mavuso Simang, thank you very much indeed. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. Now, the Minister of Electricity, Josian Soramahopa's announcement to procure 2,500 megawatts of nuclear energy is being questioned by some environmental lobby groups. They claim the process is flawed. The government is to publish a request for proposals for a new nuclear capacity build. With us now is Princess Ntombeni, who is founder of Africa for Nuclear. It's an advocacy campaign that promotes nuclear as a contributor to achieving Africa's agenda for sustainability. Development. So the first question, is this a feasible and realistic idea? Definitely, Jeremy, it is feasible and it is achievable. If you look at what is happening globally, there's a nuclear renaissance that we are witnessing and we are excited as Africa for Nuclear to witness it because just last week at COP28 in Dubai, we saw 22 nations signing the pledge to triple Uh, nuclear capacity by 2050 and this is to help accelerate the transition to net zero so i was very sad when south africa was left behind when i did not see south africa as part of signatories but after yesterday's announcement i am hopeful that the country is moving towards the right direction yes we could have done it earlier but better late than never There is the argument that government is maybe rushing to procure nuclear energy before the finalization of the IRP 2023, though. I don't think that argument really holds water because the IRP 2019 has nuclear in it. So what is currently being implemented is not the reviewed IRP, but the IRP 2019, which its decision eight suggested the time for procuring, even though they are not really using the word uh, procuring, but for preparations of nuclear build programs should start immediately. That's what the decision eight of IRP 2019 said. So the current implementation of 2,500 megawatt is in the IRP 2019, not the one that Mm. we are waiting for. All right. What measures then, in your opinion, should be implemented to ensure transparency in the procurement process, given that the costs will be very high? I don't really think that we should start estimating the cost right now, because for me, we would know the cost of nuclear build once we issue out the request for proposals. Something that never happened even before, even though many people speculated a trillion rent nuclear deal, but it were just speculations because nothing confirmed or there was no black and white paper that said a nuclear deal was going to cost a trillion rent. But you are correct in saying we need to ensure transparency. And I think our government, what they need to do then after issuing out the request for proposals, they need to keep on updating us in terms of how many countries that have actually submitted the bids and the decision that they are taking and tell us, does it make economic sense for the country to choose that country? Mm. So it, it, it just has to be like that. Government updating us in terms of what transpired during the RFP process. I understand that cost at this point is a moving target, but you will concede, though, that the cost of the project has to remain within a manageable range. 
Yes, it, it has to remain within the uh, manageable range. But also, when we speak about these technologies, we talk about the levelized cost of energy, and we never talk about the full cost of energy, which to me is the model that we should be using. But okay, when we speak about levelized cost of energy, we also need to talk about what is the leveler of which in this instance, the leveler should be the availability and reliability of the source. So I want to come back to the whole notion of transparency. Everyone would be in agreement with you that government would need to keep us monitored at every turn as far as this process is concerned. But it has to be monitored to ensure adherence to best practice. And most importantly, given the track record with other big build projects in South Africa, critical to this is the avoidance of corruption. What mechanisms need to be put in place to make sure that from the get-go we have a grip on that? I'd like us to treat projects different, uh, Jeremy. I know when we speak about the mega project, uh, there is some sort of corruption that we usually uh, see there. But with nuclear, for me, I see it a slight different because there's no middleman in the nuclear deal, unlike uh, in other energy technologies where you find middlemen, many of them. With nuclear, there is absolutely no middleman. So when it, corruption possibility is very minimal when it comes to nuclear projects because it's a deal between states. So given that then, how does government need to guarantee and ensure a fair and unbiased selection of vendors and the technology given um, international geopolitical dynamics that exist at the moment and we all know that they are difficult and tricky. When it comes to international geopolitics, I think what South Africa has actually presented itself as a non-biased and a country that is not really aligned to any country when it comes to what is currently happening geopolitically. I think that's the right stance at the moment, but when it comes to choosing the, the right vendor technology, they need to make sure that whoever gets chosen is chosen based on what the country can afford and what really can make the economic sense for the country in terms of industrialization and development. You wouldn't so you wouldn't say that we have a close alignment to Russia at this point when it comes to the procurement of nuclear technology? If Russia is giving us a fair deal, then I don't see why the country should not go with Russia. All right, final question. Considering that nuclear plants take a long time to build, this isn't going to address our immediate energy needs like load shedding, will it? I would start by saying, Jeremy, the current plants, all of them, coal plants, including Kubach nuclear power plant, that we are benefiting from, they were not built overnight. Leaders at that time, they were visionary. They thought of long term. And I think that's very important when you're planning for energy, when you plan for energy project. But with regards to load shedding, yes, you are correct that the plant that uh, we may be able to build will not be able to address load shedding in a short term period which is why I believe, and as Africa for Nuclear, we believe that the most immediate thing to do for our government is to make sure that they properly maintain the current coal power plants so that they run up until at least we are able to replace them with nuclear. But also at the same time, they need to make sure that they bring more renewables to the grid so that we are able to address um, load shedding in the short term run. But yeah, we also need to think long terms, uh, but 
we do have to properly maintain our coal plants so that we are able to address the current load shedding. Princess Mtombeni, thank you very much indeed, founder of Africa for Nuclear. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. A new credit stress report from the analytics company 8020 is showing that South Africans have also started to see some improvement in their financial circumstances. This is good news, I guess. Joining us now is Andrew Fulton from the company. And Andrew, firstly, how then do you interpret the current economic indicators and their implications for South African consumers and their important financial health? Yeah, so so as we said, there's there's a few kind of green shoots, the, 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 a little bit of good news in the economy. I don't want to sort of say how many swallows are going to make a summer, but certainly what's happened with inflation, it's gone from 6.2 down to 5%. Unemployment rate dropped below 32%, so 400,000 new people in the economy. Consumer confidence leading indicators the economy's moved upwards. In the credit space, which, which this report speaks to, the percentage of loans in arrears has come down to 37.5. But the really interesting piece that we're seeing is we use a metric called rate of new defaults, which is the proportion of outstanding loan balances that went into default during the quarter across all loan products. And while that's been steadily creeping up over the last sort of year, year to bit, for the first time we've seen that drop. So you don't want to overemphasize that you know the, the economy's turning, but it certainly is the first time we've seen positive signs in the economy in many, many months. So I think that's that's good news for everyone getting to the end of the year. And with the challenge, of course, and you're absolutely right, it comes at a very opportune time as we as we draw to the end of 2023 uh, you talk about those green shoots and i fully understand that it's too early to start celebrating uh, the challenge of the south african economy is to make sure that those green shoots grow into something and next year we are going to be dealing with a lot of variables not going to be easy is it no, no, it's not going to be easy. And, you know, one of the challenges of, of analyzing the data is what is sort of correlation and what's causality. Um, and so we kind of say, well, while the news is good, it could be three things. So so the one is that things are getting better. People are managing their finances and cutting back on spending, maybe making payments on debt. The other option is things couldn't get any worse. You know, anyone who's going to default has already gone into default, so they're, they're out of the, the system. Or that the credit providers, which we do know, have become significantly more risk averse and and they're giving loans to people who are less likely to default. So it's probably a combination of those three. But, you know, as we analyze this data quarter on quarter, we can kind of see these patterns coming out and, and we'll be able to give a bit more insight, certainly in, in for the next quarter. Let me pick you up on the inflation observation, if I can, easing to 5%. Is there a direct impact but, or direct correlation between that number and an impact on consumer spending and credit behavior, or is there a lag? There's certainly going to be a lag. I mean, one of the things, you know, we were listening to the Reserve Bank um, in an in a, uh, investor presentation I was at last week, and there's still, you know, a little bit on the fence about whether or not interest rates are coming down. That would make a, a big difference. You know, the economy's really not going to turn until we can see these interest rates that are the highest they've been in you know, over a decade turn and come down. Um, but but the immediate impact of inflation, you know, on, on inflation is a product of fuel costs, food costs, etc. So people should be able to see those things moving into the economy and lowering prices maybe a little bit and therefore increasing consumer spending. Still a bit of sweat when it comes to paying your car back. 
Yeah, <laughs> significant. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the car vehicle asset finance has probably seen the most trauma of the credit space in South Africa in the last year. That's the one rate of new default that didn't come down this quarter. So, so that is still steadily creeping up. We do see people sort of certainly like the middle class is getting out of vehicle asset finance. They're getting rid of their cars either through default or by choice. As we saw with the car numbers uh, a couple of weeks back, you know, the new car sales are, are, are nowhere near where they, they should be or where they were a year ago. If we are seeing a small decrease in the unemployment rate, uh, does that have a positive impact on the overall credit market? Or again, uh, is there some time before you're able to quantify that more, uh, uh, more seriously? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting question. We, we did notice that 750, 740,000 new people came into the credit market this year. Um, one would assume that a lot of those people are recently employed. You know, they've now got a paycheck and, and they want to go out and buy new, some new clothing or get an unsecured loan to pay off some debts, perhaps, to, to family and friends. Um, so, yeah, there would be an immediate effect when people get, get an income. You know, they, they get a bank account and they start spending and, and they would get into those credit products. But what we're also seeing is is that concentration of debt in the wealthier segments who, who have been employed. So so these are people that are going to be coming into the economy, new employed in, in the last quarter. How significant when you're measuring the credit health of a country or, or, or a market is seasonality? Yeah, no, that's that's another really interesting question. Obviously, you know, this period right now is is extraordinarily. There's an enormous amount of pressure to provide gifts, um, to entertain, to kind of you know like like celebrate the end of the year. So we certainly do see people taking on more retail credit, unsecured credit at this time of the year. Yeah, seasonality certainly factors in, but not so much in mortgages, not so much in vehicle asset finance, which are you know that's the bulk of the value is sitting in those two products people buying houses and cars throughout the year. So as you say, some green shoots, but uh, they'll need a lot of watering come uh, 2024. Andrew Fulton from 8020, thank you very much indeed for the insight. MoneyWeb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories. And that's where we're going to finish the program for today. Just before we leave, other stories on our radar. Annual consumer price inflation has eased to 5.5% in November from 5.9% in October. And that's the first contraction since July. And nearly 200 countries at the COP28 climate summit have agreed to a deal that for the first time calls on all nations to transition away from fossil fuels to avert the worst effects of climate change. MoneyWeb at midday. We are live at noon weekdays. Then we're up as a podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye.